All right, guys. Um, if you have your Bibles tonight, why don't we open up, put it back up to the book of Acts. Um, so now we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, uh, looking at verses 19 through 31. We'll, we'll read that as we go here in just a few moments. Um, kids are church, as I forgot to say. But anyway, when, when it comes to salvation in Christ, you know, one of the most amazing things in my mind to see is the change that takes place in a person's life when the Lord gets a hold of their heart. Like time and time again, again, like I've heard testimonies of people who were, who were buried in sin, completely lost, like just running 100 miles an hour in the opposite direction, yet God got a hold of their hearts, saved them, and, and their lives were just completely turned around, completely transformed. Like I've, I've had people come and share testimonies with me, people who were addicted to drugs and alcohol, yet when they got saved... God just completely delivered them from those addictions. I've had people share with me that before Christ, their marriages were completely on the rocks, about to fall apart, and then Jesus came into the marriage, and that marriage was changed and transformed. I've heard testimonies of people who, who admittedly lived every day of their lives like absolute heathens, and yet God got a hold of them and changed their lives forever. How does that happen? Like, how is it that, that people can have their lives changed so dramatically, seemingly overnight sometimes, just because they choose to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and trust in the gospel? How is that possible? Well, uh, the Apostle Paul actually tells us how that po- that's possible in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 17, and he tells us that, that anyone in Christ is a, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. He says, behold, all things have come new. So see, when Christ comes into a person's life, something, something happens internally. You know, certainly not everybody has the exact same experience. Not everybody changed at the same rate. Everybody looks the same afterwards. But one thing for sure that happens is a person that truly gives their life to Jesus Christ is a person who will have their life transformed. When a person gives their life to Jesus, they're, they're born again spiritually, created anew in Christ. They may look the same to look at them. They may sound the same to hear them. They're in the same physical bodies. But on the inside, there's something completely different, something completely brand new. And, you know, there may be no better example of this to see than the life transformation that took place in the man we started looking at last week, this man Saul of Tarsus, who we know better as the Apostle Paul. You know, Saul was a man who was one of the greatest enemies the church ever had. He was a man that hated the Christians with the passion and did his best. He did everything he could to put an end to these Christians and everybody that followed Jesus. Yet as we saw last week, he had this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It just, just completely changed him forever. And if you remember what went on last week, we saw Saul was going with this kind of entourage, and they were heading to Damascus to go and arrest these Christians and, and take them back and, and change. And yet, as they approached the city, Saul described this, this light. This light was brighter than the sun itself that just blinded him. And yet, in the midst of this light, he heard this voice. He knew it was the voice of authority, he, 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 and he says, who are you, Lord? And, and the response he had, no doubt, just absolutely shook him to his core because the voice in the light said, this is Jesus. 
whom you're persecuting. Jesus told him to get up and go into the city, and when he got there, he'd be told what to do. And, and when the light vanished, the, the people around him heard the sound but didn't know what it said, and Paul sit, sat there blind. And uh, he, he told his men, take me into the city, and there he sat for three days. Three days completely blind, with nothing to do to think and pray. And yet during this time of, of Saul's life, Jesus sent a faithful Christian man named Ananias to speak with him and, and lay his hands on him. And in that moment, Saul not only regained his sight, he gained his salvation. He, he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And in that moment, he saw things clear, more clearly than he ever had in his entire life. And I'm not talking about just his physical sight. Really, I'm talking about his spiritual sight. In that moment, he not only saw Jesus for who he was, he finally knew the purpose for his life. Saul finally came to the truth of just how wrong he had been about Jesus. Jesus wasn't an imposter. He wasn't the imposter he had come to thought. He truly was the Son of God who came into this world to die for sinners. He also knew that Jesus had a job for him to do, and Jesus told Saul that he was going to be his witness to the world, to the Gentile world. He would speak before rulers and kings, so now Saul had this new mission in life, and instead of trying to stop the church, Jesus commissioned him to speak his message and grow the church to people and places that it had not yet been. And kind of from here out in, in the book of Acts, we're going to be talking about Peter for a little bit over the next couple of weeks, but really the vast majority of the rest of the book of Acts, what we see is this transformation from this man Saul of Tarsus into the man we know, the same man, but the man we know is the Apostle Paul. Why the name change? Uh, what's really interesting about that name change is there's nowhere in there that says that, that God changed his name necessarily, although that's the common thought. But, but what it is, Saul was a Hebrew name and Paul was a Roman name. And so whether in his mind he's like, I want to get rid of the old man completely, I'm going to go by this, we don't know exactly how that looks. But Saul, Paul, same guy, and the rest of the book of Acts really talks about this transformation we see in him and the incredible ministry that he does. So let's hop into our verses here, starting in verse 19. I'm going to read verse 19 and 20 of um, Acts chapter 9. So this was after he had got saved and, and was baptized, regained his sight. And this is in verse 19. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he indeed is the Son of God. You know, when I think of a right response to somebody giving, getting saved, I'm, I'm not sure there's a better example than Saul. I mean, this guy goes from one day leading a posse of people to arrest these Christians to the next day literally just boldly proclaiming the same message he tried to stop. And when Saul got saved, I mean, he, he wasn't like a lot of Christians where they kind of ride the fence a little bit, one foot in, one foot out, not him. I mean, this guy jumped in his, his whole self into what God had called him to do. And I just really think that he is the example that God wants all of us to follow. Can I tell you something? In our world today, we do not have time for fence sitters. We need Christians who are all in. We don't have time to have Christians like spectators and bleachers. We need Christians on the field, active 
in the game, doing their part. See, God saved us for a purpose, and that purpose is not for us to sit, but to serve. We've been saved from this world so that we can go back into this world and make a difference. See, like Saul, we have a job to do. If we're saved, God has a unique purpose for our life. It may look different than the person sitting, person sitting next to you or, or behind you, but make no mistake, God has a unique purpose for every single one of us. But the end goal in every single one of those purposes is the same. At the end of the day, is to declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to this world. We are called to be a light in a dark world. A world is growing ever darker seemingly by the day. And although that's a hard job to do, although that's an intimidating thought, knowing that that's what we're called to do, can I tell you something? When you think of all that God has done for us, the most responsible response that there is is to simply become the person God has saved us to be. And the person God has saved us to be is to be a light to this dark world. See, Saul got this. From the moment he got saved, he gave his life into full service to the Lord. And we see this even from this very verse, in verse 20, immediately he begins preaching. He opens his eyes, eats, gains his strength, and the first thing he does is goes proclaims the name of Jesus to people. Like, he set the example of what he wrote later in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 where he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, he says, reasonable service. Like the most rational response that we can have to our salvation is to become the exact person that God saved us to be. Now, when we think about being a light to the world, one of the questions that so many Christians ask is like, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know how to do it. Like, what does that look like? How, how does this all work? How do we get opportunities to witness to people? Like, do we just go talk to random people on the streets? I mean, maybe. I, I, have a, I literally have a pastor friend that does that. I mean, I don't think everybody's called to do what he does, but it's just crazy. Like, he will be in town, and I've seen him, like, stop his car in the middle of the street, hop out, and go, like, share the gospel with some dude like he never even met, you know? And it's just one of the most bold witnesses I've ever seen in my life. But for most Christians, quite frankly, it's probably not the way it's going to work. And, uh, but what we can do is we can look for the opportunities that God gives us and make the best of them. Like, so take Saul, for instance, here. Um, you know, Saul didn't just go out into the streets, it doesn't seem. I mean, it doesn't say that he didn't, but what it does say is that he went into the synagogue, you see, as a Pharisee himself, Saul knew how synagogue worked. When I say synagogue, it's kind of like Jewish church. See, during synagogue, there was always a time where the local rabbi would give some men there in the crowd the opportunity to, to stand and talk and, and share something from Scripture. And, and Saul saw this as his open door. And, and he went and he stood and he proclaimed boldly the message of Jesus, that he wasn't just some random criminal, some imposter that was crucified, but he indeed was who he says he was. He was indeed the Son of God who came to save the world. See, a few, a few questions we should ask God when we think about our witness as Christians. This is where Saul was. This was his open door. But for us, we should ask God, where are the open doors that you've given us? Who have you put in our path? Who have you placed smack dab in the middle of my life that you want me to share the message of Jesus with? 
Those are questions that we should pray each and every day, asking God give us, to give us eyes to see. Like sometimes I think Christians get the idea that you have to go somewhere on some special mission trip to spread the gospel, but the fact is, is that, that God has put people in our lives right here, right now, where we're at, and, and they are our main mission field. Like, there's certainly nothing wrong with going places. I've done it. I I advocate for it. It's awesome. But can I tell you something? The primary mission field of every single one of us is right where God has planted us. See, for Saul, his mission started right where he was at. He knew the synagogue was a place where he'd have the best opportunity to share Jesus, and he took it. And so for in our lives, we should ask ourselves, God, where's my opportunity? Is it at work? Is it at the gym? Is it with our neighbors? Is it with a family member? Wherever it's at, I don't know, but, the, 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 but maybe I'll stay. Wherever it's at, can I tell you something? It's going to take boldness. It's going to take boldness for us to step out of our comfort zone and speak the truth that we're called to speak. It takes wisdom to be able to turn a random conversation into a gospel conversation. But can I tell you something? Every single one of us have the ability. You know Why? Because the same Holy Spirit that was leading Saul is in us. We need to trust him. The point is where God has planted us is right where he wants us to start doing his work. The people in our lives are not there by accident. God has put them there in our lives because he wants us to be the people that minister to them. Now, this is what we see Saul do, but, but it wasn't just that he spoke to these people, it was literally what he spoke to these people. He told them here that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, in the Jewish mind of the day, to say that Jesus was the Son of God was literally to say that, that Jesus had all the divine attributes of God. It was to say, that, to say that Jesus was the Son of God was to say that he was on equal, equal, an equal stature as God Almighty himself, which is part of the reason he got crucified, <laughs> because he claimed that in his own life. And here, and here Saul claims this exact same thing. Friends, the message we share is a vital part of the mission we've been given. It, it's easy to talk about Christian things, like, you know, about rant. What, I mean, p- pick a topic. I mean, it's easy to talk about Christian stuff. But can I tell you something? It's totally different to share the gospel with somebody. It's easy to talk about how we should act as Christians and how we should be nice and and, and how marriages should work in a Christian marriage. It's easy to talk about those things amongst people, but there's something totally different about looking at a person square in the eye that doesn't know Christ and telling them that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You need to turn him to salvation. That's something totally different. But friends, that's the only message that saves the gospel is the power unto salvation. There is no other message that can deliver people from their sin. There is no other message that's going to get people to heaven. There's only one message, and it's that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this world, went to a cross, died, was buried, and rose again three days later, and because of what he did, heaven's been open for us. And anybody who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, asking for the forgiveness of their sins, they can be a part of God's family. That's the, that's the gospel, friends. That's the only message that brings about salvation. Now, let's move on to verse 21. We're never going to get done. All right. So, uh, verse 21 here. It says, All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? 
Now, it's interesting here when it says that all who heard him were amazed. Like in the original language, that literally means like they were awestruck out of their minds. Like their minds were blown. Like they heard what Saul was saying, but they couldn't believe what was actually coming out of his mouth. And when I say his mouth, I mean literally his mouth. Like this was the guy that was just sent here to stop all this, and now he's proclaiming the same message. Now, to be fair, they had a point. I mean, he, he was literally the guy three days earlier that was coming to put these people in change, and yet now he's sitting here proclaiming the same message that he came to put an end to. But can I tell you something? That's one proof that Saul's life was absolutely transformed. Now, consider the work, transforming work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a new Christian for a moment. You know, what I love about our God is that he can take, like, the vilest of sinners, completely change them from the inside out, and transform them into something completely new and different and amazing. And Saul may be the best example of this. Like, if, if God can do that with him, can I tell you something? He can do it with literally anybody. But, in your life, have you ever seen anybody that got saved, and you just stood back for a moment and went, I know what they're saying, but I might be a little bit skeptical on this one. Like, I know that person, and, and I'm just going to sit back for a little while and, and see if that person really is going to change, to see if this whole salvation thing is legit. Have you ever known anybody like that? Anybody? Nobody. Well, I'm the only one. Okay, so I'll tell you about my experience. I, I worked with a man um, for, for a lot of years, and, and this, this man was a foul-mouthed, literally just perverse, curtankerous jerk to be around, literally, until he met Jesus. Like, before Jesus, he was literally known as the town drunk, and, and yet Somebody led him to the Lord, and I, and I will admit to you, because I worked with him every day, there was a part of me that was very, very skeptical about this. And yet God truly got a hold of that man's life, and like this beautiful change began to take place in him. And, and he was a part of, we had, a, we had a devotional group where three or four of us guys that were Christians that were at work got together each day and for 15 or 20 minutes. We'd read some scripture and spend some time in prayer. And I can remember the first time that he ever prayed. And he was embarrassed and he's like, I, he, he, he got done. It was just like, oh man, I'm sorry. He's like apologizing because he's like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And, but can I tell you something? That was one of the most beautiful heartfelt prayers I've ever heard in my life. And it's like I, I knew in that moment that God had truly transformed that man. You know, when it comes to God's power, we should never, ever be surprised by what he does in a person's life. If he can change Saul's life, if he can transform that man's life that I knew, quite frankly, if he can transform this guy's life, he can transform anybody's life. Let's look at verse 22. So Saul... He says his preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. You know, one of the things I love about the story of Saul is not only about how God transformed him, but it's, but it's how God in his sovereignty had prepared Saul with so many tools that he was going to need to become the missionary to the world that he became. Like, even so, no, Saul didn't realize it at the time, like, all of his training, all of his experience, even the zeal with which he fought so hard against God's people was something that God was about to take and use in a powerful way to advance his kingdom. 
Saul used it, was using it for, for evil ways, and yet God was going to take what he had built in him and, and, and refocus it to build his kingdom. I mean, think about Saul. He was trained by Gamaliel, who was, who was considered to be like literally the rabbi of rabbis of his day. If, if there ever was a student of the word of God, Saul was it. I mean, he had given his entire life to be trained up to become literally the Pharisee of Pharisees, as he later described himself. Like Saul was a man who had proven himself to be extremely dedicated, extremely single-minded in his mission, and he used that single-minded dedication, that, that zealous pursuit in trying to crush the church. That was before he met Jesus. Yet what's so amazing about that is that Saul... He wasn't that man by accident. His experience he had were not a coincidence. He wasn't just lucky that he had the training that he had. No, God was preparing him this entire time for the mission he had for Saul. All of his experience, even his sin, God would use to transform something that made Saul into the man we know as the Apostle Paul. A man who became just an incredible, dedicated warrior for the kingdom of God. And if you think about it, think about his ministry, even what he did here when he first got saved. Who else could have stood toe-to-toe with a rabbi? Who else could have stood toe-to-toe with these, with these what we're going to see later on? I mean, he, he was standing toe-to-toe with even the, the leading um, religious people in Jerusalem itself. Who else could have done that? God had this man prepared for his mission. And he became like this incredible leading powerful voice as we'll see among the apostles later on. Like God knew what he was doing with Saul. He had been preparing him for this exact moment and he provided Saul with all the right tools he would need to become the man he would turn him into. Think about your life for a moment. Like when you think about your own life, think about your past. Think about your experiences. Think about your hurts, even your pains, even your mess-ups, even your sins. Can I tell you something? How often has God used those things for good if you really think about it? Like how many times has a prior hurt or or some sort of grief that you've gone through in your life, how many times has that opened up a door for you to be able to minister to somebody walking through the same thing? What about abilities or experiences that you had that skills that you have that, that God's used in your life to be able to minister to somebody in need? Just to, just to show them the love of Christ. Has there ever been a time where you've been able to minister to somebody that's been going through some sin, some addiction, some hang-up in their life, and, and the reason that you have this special ability to minister to them is because you walked through the exact same thing in your past? Can I tell you something? God has allowed you to go through what you have for a reason. One thing I so appreciate about, appreciate about our God is that he doesn't waste anything in our lives. Like our past, our pain, our struggles, yes, even our sin with God has a purpose. And God in his sovereignty has literally allowed everything we've gone through in our lives for a reason. It's so that we can use those things from our past in the present to bring God the glory he deserves as we minister and reach out to the people of this world. One thing I love about Saul is that he didn't, also he didn't let the shame of his past keep him from letting God use him in the present. And can I tell you, that happens a lot. We have skeletons in the closet and we feel unworthy 
to serve God in sometimes in some ways. We allow mistakes of our past to hinder what God wants us to do in the present. Can I tell you something? That ain't God's voice. It's the voice of Satan. And we need to put that out of our minds and understand that God allowed all those things. He didn't cause us to sin, but he allowed it. And he will use those things. He will redeem even that sin to use to build his kingdom, to use to bring him glory in the present if we'll allow him to do it. Let's look at verses 23 through 25. So after a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Now, one thing you can't see in this passage is that before Saul was kind of run out of Damascus, there was actually something like a little over three years that had gone by, like from verses um, you know, 19 through like 22 and then to 23, that 22 and 23 in there, like there's like a three-year-plus time period. Um, Luke, the, the, act, the writer of Acts here, doesn't really talk about it here, but, but the Apostle Paul writes about it later in Galatians 1. Listen to what he says here in verses 15 through 18 of Galatians 1 talking about this time. He says, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for, for 15 days. And so Saul was telling people about Jesus in Damascus, and then at some point he, he goes off into like the Sinai area, the Arabia, Arabian desert, um, to be alone with God, to, to truly prepare himself for this mission that he had been given. How long he was in the desert, we don't really know. Um, some think he was actually in the desert for three years being trained. Some think it was just for a little bit of time, and he went back to Damascus for a number of years. Some think he was kind of going back and forth. We don't really know, um, but what we do know is, is that when he came back, he was literally ran out of town because they wanted to kill him because they didn't like the, they didn't like the new Saul. Let's, let's put it that way. They didn't like the message that he had, so the Christians there helped him down in this basket. Now, as we think about that, I know I've mentioned this a number of times over the last few weeks, but it's just important to remember that we should never forget that until God's plan for your life is completed, can I tell you something? You ain't got nothing to worry about. Your life's not going to end later we're going to see in Paul's life that like he, he could have been dead many, 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 many times. But God's purpose for life wasn't done. And that should give us hope as Christians. Like it doesn't mean that we're never going to face tribulation or trials or suffering. Those things are going to happen. But listen, until God says it's over, it ain't over. So just keep trusting, keep working, keep serving, and just let him use you. Let's read our final verses, 26 to 31. So when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. And when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. 
And then in verse 31, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It also grew in numbers. So Saul leaves Damascus. He's run out of town. Let Lord down in the basket, running for his life. He goes into Jerusalem. And even when he gets there, even his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the fellow Christians there, give him this, they want nothing to do with him. Now, think about this. We shouldn't be surprised by this. It had been like a little over three years since they'd seen Saul. They'd heard about his supposed conversion, yet I'm sure many of them were on the skeptical side. I mean, just think about what, I mean, I like to think what was going through their minds, right? And so think about these Christian huddles. Saul's back. They say he is saved, but is he really legit? Is this guy really saved, or is he just like an imposter? Is, he, is, he gonna, is this all just some grand scheme for him to, to get into the inner circles of the church so he can find out where everybody's at, so he can really put an end to this thing? I mean, we're all human, right? Have you ever thought about stuff like that when you read Scripture? I'm sure some of this stuff probably had gone through their mind. I mean, obviously we can't know, but I like to think about that. And to an extent, like I can understand where they were coming from because, man, this guy was the one, this guy was the one in charge when Stephen was murdered. When he was stoned to death, I mean, this was the guy that was dragging Christians back in chains, putting them in prison. It's as he would sign the name to have them executed. This was the guy. I mean, so, and now he's saved, and we're supposed to just accept him with open arms? And to an extent, I'm, I'm sure this had to have been a, a discouraging moment for Saul. But once again, right at the right time, God sends a godly man to minister to Saul. And we're kind of introduced to the, for the first time here in the book of Acts of this man named Barnabas. A man whose name literally means son of encouragement. As we're going to see, it, it, he had, I think God gave him that name for a reason. But what I love about Barnabas is that he took a chance on Saul while nobody else would. I mean, you know the apostles knew that he was there and even they were avoiding Saul. And yet, yet Barnabas took a chance on this man and he brought him to the apostles and he told them that he had been boldly preaching in the name of Jesus. And listen, quite frankly, if somebody's proclaiming the name of Jesus like that, his salvation had to have been legit. I mean, it had been three years, and he was still proclaiming Jesus. And so Barnabas took a chance on this man. Can I tell you something? If we're doing our jobs correctly as Christians, we're going to have some chances to reach some people and the thought of them becoming part of our church we may look and be a little bit hesitant before we jump in joy about jump for joy about that and and here's what i mean like god has not called us only to reach the normies of society he's called us to reach people literally from every walk of life And, and i just want to just for deep thought for a moment what what if god really begins to use us here and we really begin to, to reach out to people in our surrounding area. You think about just even our area in a 15-mile radius. We have a whole array of different types of people from all walks of life. And, and what if in, in the course of time some drug addicts are saved and want to become part of our church? 
Well, what if in the course of time some gangbangers from 10 minutes north of here get saved and want to become part of our church? What if, what if we reach some ex-felons just getting out of prison and they get saved and want to become part of our church? What's going to happen if we reach a sex offender and they want to become part of our church? Like if we're truly being the witness Christ has called us to be, can I tell you something? Those are situations that we, we may very well face. And, and when those things happen, what we're going to have to ask ourselves in that moment is, are we going to be a Barnabas? Or are we going to reject him like these Christians first did with Saul? You know, taking a chance on people comes with risks. We shouldn't fool ourselves about that. But what if that risk turns into an incredible victory for God's kingdom? What if that person goes on to be like this incredible tool for reaching people with the gospel? What if God uses that person to impact multitudes upon multitudes of lives? Would it be worth it to take a chance on one of those if God can use them like that? I think so. Like, do we need to be wise about those situations? Do we need to use discernment? Absolutely. But friends, dare we never limit what God can do with a person simply because of their past. We worship the God of transformation. Imagine what might have happened had Barnabas not taken the chance on Saul. I, I can tell you that I, for one, am glad that he did take the chance because we're still very much benefiting from him today because most of our New Testament is written by that guy. Well, it didn't take Saul very long to show the Christians in Jerusalem that he was the real deal. Verse 28 says he went all over Jerusalem proclaiming the message of Jesus, even debating these Greek-speaking Jews. More than likely, these are the ones from Acts chapter 6 and verse 9, these Hellenists or this, this synagogue of freed slaves that Saul was probably a part of before he got saved. But he stood toe-to-toe with them and, and proclaimed that, that Jesus was who he says he was. But, but, but once he... Uh, started doing that, these friends of his no longer liked this new Saul, and so they began to plot a way for him to be murdered and taken out. But once again, their plot was foiled, and, and Saul was taken out of Jerusalem and led back to his hometown of Tarsus. And, and that's where he stays. The next time we see Saul, eight to twelve years have gone by. So eight, from this point until we meet him again, he, before he goes into any prominent ministry that we even know of, eight to twelve years have gone by. And so we have to ask the question, well, what did he do? What did he do in those eight to twelve years? Well, I can tell you what he did. He kept on preaching the Word of God. He kept on sharing the gospel. In fact, many theologians believe that during this eight to twelve years that he was up there in this area of, of Tarsus, that, that he actually started a number of churches by Acts 15, uh, we can see that by this time, Saul comes back to Jerusalem again years later, and by that time, there were prominent Gentile churches in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, which were all in the region where Saul was staying. So more than likely, what was Saul doing? Exactly what God had saved him to do. He may have been called away from Jer- the Jerusalem church, but it, he certainly stayed busy doing God's work. What else happened in this 8 to 12 years? Well, verse 31 says the church finally had a time for peace and prosperity. They had been persecuted beyond belief for a number of years by this time, but finally God gave them some reprieve. You know, some people ask, why does God even allow 
persecution in the church? And I think the answer is because he knows at times we need it. Like when things are too easy, we all get a little too comfortable. And when those times come, God often allows times of difficulty to draw his people back to where he wants them, which is right by his side. We may be going through one of those times in our society right now. I think a lot of the things that we're seeing and facing in our world is God allowing to awaken his church once again, to draw the church back to him so that we wake up and become the people he's called us to be. You know, in closing, as we think about this transformation of Saul, it really is an amazing thing what God can do. Like he can take somebody from a man's viewpoint who looks like a complete lost cause and turn them into a warrior for his kingdom. Saul didn't let his past define him, nor did he let it limit him. Instead, he moved past his past and gave his life fully into the service of God. What was the result? Well, I can tell you over the next number of months as we finish the book of Acts, we're going to see the result of his ministry was that the world was literally turned upside down. The, the, the impact this man had on the world, the impact he still has to this very day is absolutely incredible. Friends, that's what God can do with a life. Let's never put a limit on God. Whether it's our life or the people that we see around us that he's called us to reach, let's never limit what God can do. Let's use our past in the present to reach them so that God can begin that transformation work that he's done in us. He's changed us so we can become change agents in the life of others in need Christ. Amen. Let's, let's do our work. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this time, for your word, for this challenging, more challenging passage of Scripture. Um, Lord, it's, it really is amazing when you think about what you did with that man. And it's even as amazing that you still are doing that work today, you know, a couple thousand years later. Father, I, th- I thank you that you're so patient with us because, Lord, it's so easy in, in, our, in our lives to get distracted from the mission you've called us to. We all know in here what we're supposed to be doing, and yet it's so easy, Father, to lose sight of it. Heavenly Father, will you give us the grace to be able to give you our lives? For those of us in here that know you as Lord and God, those of us know Christ as Savior, Father, will you help us to live, to be the light that we've, called to be, we've been called to be, Lord? Help us to, to, to look around in the people you put in our lives and, and to begin asking you every single day, Lord, who is it that you want me to minister to today? God, show me that person. Lord, I believe in faith that, that when we start asking, God, you're going to start revealing it. And, and as you do, God, give us the boldness to speak. Heavenly Father, there may be somebody here, there may be somebody to listen to this that has never began a relationship with Christ, Lord. And, and tonight, God, your word says it's very simple how that's done simply believing in what Christ did and, and choosing in faith to make him Lord and Savior. Lord, your word tells us that Christ went to a cross, died for our sins, was buried and raised again on the third day. And your word tells us that what he did was, was good enough to satisfy your wrath, Lord, on us sinners. And if, and if a person will just call upon the name of Jesus, receiving the forgiveness of their sins and choosing to make him Lord and Savior, God, your word tells us in Romans ten thirteen, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And God, if anybody here listening tonight has never made that decision, let them tonight call out to Christ in faith. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. As we close tonight, we're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to invite you all to stand and sing with me. Uh, a song we've sung before called Build My Life. And really let this song be our, our prayer um, as we go tonight. Let's stand together.